What's up, humans? Welcome to the Human Music Podcast. I'm Luke Rain. My co-hosts are Tesco and Rip Kinney, and we are all music producers, artists, and producer coaches. This show is where we discuss all things music production and interview amazing creatives about their origins, their process, and whatever else comes up. This week is episode 97, House Ninja's 3Ps, Production, Podcasting, and Performing. The House Ninja is an Atlanta-based DJ, producer, and entertainer with a love of costume gaming conventions, mystery, and heroism. His podcast, Producer Life, brings actionable and informative information to music producers. On this episode, we spoke about live DJ setups, creating his own live visuals, time management, branding, and why one of his early DJ gigs got shut down by police with machine guns. The song of the week is Arigato by House Ninja. You can hear that playing behind me now, and you can go stream it at the link down in the description. Bump that after the episode. Run it up. And then you can support our sponsors while you're down there like Dojo TV. That's free producer live stream classes from the Dojo Senseis. Our boy Tesco's new Patreon where you can get educational content for producers including track feedback and private lessons. And then the weekly download, that's our mentor, Ill Gates, private weekly group lessons. It's just 20 bucks a month. That's five bucks a lesson and you get over 250 more episodes in the archive. Plus, guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He's the best engineer we know, and your first class is free. Let's get on to, into this episode with House Ninja. Hello, people of Earth. This is Tesco with Rip Kenny and Trap Jesus, and you're listening to the uh, Human Music Podcast. Woo! Human Music Podcast. I like it. All right, humans. There we go. Sound check one, tickety two. What's up? It's Luke Rain with the Human Music Podcast. I got my cool ass co hosts, Rip Kenny and Tesco here. Howdy. You do. Yes, I do. My boys. And I'm super excited to have. As our special guest today, House Ninja. What is good? <gasps> What's up, everybody? Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. of course. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, super happy to. So the way we like to start off, we want to know more about you so we can dive in deep. What, House Ninja, is your superhero origin story? How did you become the awesome creative that you are today? <laughs> um, well, like, like a lot of people, I started off as a kid, uh, you know, playing a bunch of different instruments and, and experimenting with stuff and, uh, none of it really stuck. And it wasn't until much later in life that I, uh, started kind of missing that. And I knew that I enjoyed dance music and I was listening, you know, I'd be commuting to work and stuff and I'd be listening to Tiesto and, you know, sort of that big room house type sound. And, um, I think he, I don't remember the exact moment where it happened, but I realized, you know, this is just something I love computers. I love, I love geeking out. And, and so um, I decided I wanted to become a producer and uh, it was kind of a aha moment for me and um, been going ever since. That was about seven years ago. And it's just a great fit because I love being up on stage uh, ran an improv comedy troupe in college many years ago. So oh, I no like, way. that's dope. Yeah. I like, like interacting with people um, I love the technical aspects of producing and, 
yeah, it's 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 great. This is my favorite thing to do. This is my happy place here. What what instruments did you pick up as a kid, and and why didn't they stick? <laughs> pick up is a, a relative term. So sure. I I dabbled with piano, trumpet, guitar, and flute for a little while. Nice. Um, yeah, my parents were were very accepting and wanted me to just kind of follow my heart and try different things. And they made me stick with each of them for about six months. And then after that, I was like, uh, this isn't not feeling it. And, you know, now I look at, um, uh, now I look at DJs like, uh, Timmy trumpet. And, and I don't know if you've ever watched him perform and kind of do these solos over the top of other songs. I'm like, man, that's cool. I wish I'd stuck with the trumpet. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I feel like a lot of like, for instance, listening to like interviews with just other artists and stuff, I feel like a lot of people played the trumpet when they were younger. <laughs> I feel like that's like a really common thread between producers. Um, I myself played the cello and uh, more notably the clarinet in Ooh. middle school, which Rock is pretty funny. But roll. the funny part about that is like, you're like, you know, why'd you pick that one? Well, it's the biggest one that could fit in my locker so i didn't have to take it home so i didn't have to i didn't have to commute back and forth with some instrument looking like a band nerd even though you know i was in the band so you can say what you will maybe it was true uh but that's i always just think that was so funny as a kid like that is the reason i picked that instrument because like a saxophone or something like i couldn't fit that in my locker so yeah clarinet bass yeah exactly hilarious yeah just get just cart around that pseudosophone for a little while, you know, yeah. how that feels on the school bus. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I got to say one of the things that I've kind of been reflecting on over recent years, and I'd love to do at some point, you know, it seems like I'm not aware of any high schools that do anything with digital music, except for maybe some really specialized like charter schools, maybe, but, but most high schools, you know, it's all orchestra and band and it's very yeah. traditional. And yet that's, that, that doesn't really reflect a lot of what's going on in modern music. So I would love to see a high school kind of branch out and teach production tools and Ableton live and that sort of thing. Uh, that's, a re- that's a really good point. It's funny. Like my high school, actually my very last semester did that for one semester. Cause me and my best friend, and our friend from the soccer team, who is also Macklemore's first producer's no little way. brother, oh okay, and had learned had learned <laughs> reason separation. and Pro Tools from his from his big brother. Like we we decided to put it on. We got with the the TV production, you know, the video production teacher, and used their lab to put reason and Pro Tools licenses on a few computers. And, and so basically I took those classes right before and after lunch. And so I just had this like nearly three hour block senior year to just like sit and make music. It was, it was great. And then as soon as we left, they like the program got scrapped and all the copies of reason and pro tools and everything like probably sat in some like Indiana Jones style warehouse owned by the school district. (laughs) That's so, that's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. That's such like. A, it was that's awesome that you got the program into like reality and were able to have that for yourself. Huge bummer that it fell off, but also hilarious. Uh, you mentioned it was like the video production teacher. My senior year of high school, I took you know video production because to be honest, it was everyone knew it was a joke class <laughs> and like you could just like show up or not show up and like you know it was just like the easiest thing ever. But I remember 
the computers that we use in that class to like do video production had pro tools on it. And I always remember thinking like, is anyone like making music in here? Like do, do people like use that? I have you no idea. Know. Still, still to this day, I have no idea, but uh, it was mm-hmm. on those computers. So it seems like a fantastic waste of money not to have some sort of class with that. Yeah, for sure. But all right. So you, you started off playing some live instruments. None of them were quite it. You brought, that together with your love for computers and EDM and decided to become a producer. What uh, what was your like first software and, and some of your first influences? So I, I, I'm always kind of uh, overthinking everything. So I spent like a month researching different DAWs and trying to figure out which one I wanted to uh, go with. And I, I decided on Ableton because my reasoning was Ableton is the only doll that I was aware of at the time that can be both used for performance as well as for production. And my thought was, all right, well, I can get really good at this, use it for both and not have to learn multiple pieces of software. And so up until like earlier this month, um, all my performances, all my live streams, everything's been done with Ableton Live as well as the production. Um it took a long time for me to figure out that performance template. I, I mean, I agonized over it trying to figure out how to blend songs together and the effects that I wanted to use and how to mix without being able to see two tracks simultaneously. Um, I am just starting. In fact, I've got a um, Pioneer DDJ 400 right in front of me right now. Hey, I'm just- I got one of those right here. Yeah, it's it, it's great because it, it mirrors the sort of club layout. But I'm trying to learn that too because I think I'm reaching a point where at some point I'm going to show up and they're going to go, you can't bring all that equipment in and I'm going to have to know how to use this. So I, I am reluctantly getting into it. But uh, I, I got to say, I like Recordbox's uh, uh, management system a whole lot better than trying to do it in Ableton with mm-hmm. colors and tags and file names that are that long. Yeah. Hundred percent agree with you. That that was my impetus to go for Record Box too. Is realizing like I showed up at a show with my little my Serato decks and my laptop and all these cables, mm. and I watched everybody else just walk up to the ex DJ with a thumb drive, and I was like, "Oh, I'm <laughs> fucking up, man." <laughs> yeah. It's that's not a hard fun. sell after that. Yeah. yeah. Honestly, that's the biggest thing. Like you don't like you, you don't want to have to figure out anything else once you get there and like bother the sound guy, be like, the thing that I can plug this into, and like, do you have an extra slot so I can plug in my laptop? And uh actually I need two because I need to plug in my my controller too, or like, you know, you just don't want to have to deal with any of that. You want to be able to show up. And just know that you can plug in and play. You could, you know, have a beer and hang out and then rock up and plug your USB in right away. Yeah. Um, I, I got to say, I feel like I'm I, I'm not 100% committed to moving over to Recordbox yet. I bought, I bought the DDJ 400 because it's, you know, about as inexpensive as you can go, but still get that that kind of club feel. Yeah. I, 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 I may wind up kind of taking the things I learned from using the DDJ 400 and trying to see what I can incorporate and borrow for my Ableton set. I, I'm not sure yet. Um, I feel like because Ableton just opens up an incredible realm of, of creative possibilities, I could have a more distinctive DJ set using Ableton. Um, but I'm, you, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm, I'm still exploring it. That's the beauty of it. There's uh, so many right answers. What were you saying, Nico? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was uh, saying, have you seen the Squanto Octochop? No, I haven't. 
I don't he, know what those uh, words mean in that order. <laughs> <laughs> he he's uh basically a dubstep guy that performs out of Ableton and uh he hooks into the um the Pioneer mixer as a MIDI controller and he'll basically have like kind of the set, you know, planned out for the most part and there'll be like uh you know four to eight tracks playing at any given time and then you can switch between the sets of four with the bottom slider and then he'll like chop and do like mashups of the songs in real time um yeah it's pretty cool pretty cool set that was kind of like his thing for a bit this is what he got big off um and and like all his visuals were hooked up to it and everything it's pretty cool setup i think all he needed was a laptop a usb and then whatever mixer was at the club Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I Googled it. I'll, I'll take a look at some of that later. Yeah. That's um, interesting. Another one that's got a really unique Ableton setup is, um, uh, Tom Cosm. He just released his, uh, DJ mega set th- version three, but he does absolutely insane routing and dummy clips and max for live patches. And, and if you, if you've ever checked, if you haven't checked out Tom Cosm stuff, you know, definitely give that a search. He does some amazing things with it. Yeah, I feel like um, that like it's this funny like uh, like circle of of getting good where like you start and you're like, oh, this is what I want to use. And then you you rock up to the club and you're like opening or you're cutting your teeth and you're like, ah, I can't really be the guy that rocks up with this complicated setup. So then you learn <laughs> all this other stuff just so you can like not get in the way and be able to efficiently play and, and be reliable club gigger and then you go all the way to the point where it's like okay now now i'm showing up to play the show like you're like you're the headliner or whatever and then and then it goes back to the start where you're like i can do whatever i want yeah. <laughs> you just rock up with all the gear and equipment that you need and have it all set up for you it's pretty funny yeah it's really cool watching yeah. dylan set these days he's like gone he's left uh you know record box to work in serato because in the way serato's working now you can sync videos to each song and have it come out the projector so that each song that he plays has an associated music video synced to it playing live behind him on the projector screen it's super cool that's actually it's a it's a separate piece of software called mix emergency thank you that Hmm. that integrates with serato but yeah it is it is done through serato you couldn't do it through record box that being said it is a separate piece of stuff Mix yeah, I know Rekordbox will control DMX lighting. I was looking at that. Um, I was oh, experimenting. I didn't know that, really. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, the cool thing about Rekordbox, I think you have to have one of their premium subscriptions, but it allows you to set up these sort of automatic scenes, and it'll detect sort of the phrasing within the songs, and it'll automatically suggest different scenes of lights, and it has different DMX fixtures you can attach it to. I haven't done it yet. Um, previously, I was experimenting with... Um, using Ableton to control a, I forgot the name of the box. It's a, it's a small blue DMX box. Um, and then controlling my lights directly by basically drawing in, uh, MIDI patches. Um, but I discovered it was so much of a pain to program the lights that way that the first time I tried using the audio recognition on my DMX lights, I was like, Oh man, that's so much better than I can do. And I kind of threw my hands up, but I think record box automates that process a whole lot better. Um, That's super cool. I didn't know that. I, I just like it goes back to everyone wishes they just had a friend that owned a club that you could just rock up mm-hmm. and like test a bunch of stuff with. Like 
that's a perfect example. Like, is it is it easy? Like, would it if if they have a DMX lighting setup? Like, how how hard is it to just like have some stuff and plug it in and tell the light guy like, oh yeah, just you know run this and then it works or yeah. or not? You don't know, and you can't really show up as like an opener being like, yeah, so. I'm going to need access to like your lighting and like, does anyone know like what your DMX setup is? You know, you got like, you just can't do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the I, perks um, of having the home set up. Yeah. Yeah. I, so the, the, the gigs that I've done in the fall were all mobile DJ gigs. So I've got most of my own gear and um, I, I use a uh, resolume to control visuals in the background. So I've cool. got uh uh, a projector and I'll, I'll, it's time synced with Ableton using OSC. And so it's, it's a pretty cool setup. It's basically the exact same thing I was using on my live streams last year. I'm just doing it live, but the uh, first performance and even the second performance in the fall, the, um, Resolume refused to connect to Ableton at all. I could not get it to work. And so the first performance, I just had to throw that whole piece of my performance out. The second one, I figured out, all right, I'm just going to, play it sort of on auto, not time synced, but at least I'll have something in the background. But it was so frustrating because I had practiced for weeks and I had set everything up in my garage. So I, you know, I knew how everything plugged together and I could not figure out why it worked perfectly at home. And then as soon as I got there, it would not work. The problem I discovered is that Resolume and Ableton were uh, were communicating over IP. And when I went out on a gig, I would put my Mm. laptop in airplane mode. Mm, and so I needed to use a loopback IP. Um, shout out to Resolume's tech support. They were, they're amazingly responsive. Oh, um, cool. But yeah, it was very frustrating because my, my, uh, my lighting did not work the way I wanted it to the first two times. So how do you, how do you like Resolume in general? Like I, I, I love it. Um, so the biggest, I, I would say I'm kind of a basic to intermediate user. Um, I've got it set so basically it plays automated clips across, sort of horizontally, and then I'll use my APC Mark 40, the knobs, to kind of change which layer is visible at any given time. Um, so it's pretty easy for me to do while I'm also DJing. You know, I've got some layers yeah. that are kind of high energy and some layers that are lower energy, and I'll just crank the knob on one of them when I want that to happen. Um, I love the ability to projection map. So if I put my projector off to the side of the stage, I can bend the image so that it fits any particular shape. Uh, like I was also experimenting with circular screens. So I've got kind of this cool circular projection and there's a lot of cool things you can do there. It is uh, very stable, plays nice with Ableton through a Max for Live patch. Their uh, tech support, as I mentioned, is is absolutely on the spot. I'll, I'll email them directly and I'll get a response back the same day. Um, yeah, yeah the, so I've, the, I've really liked it. Does it have the ability to like play media into it and affect the media with the different scenes? Um, it has the ability to audio react. So you can feed in an audio feed and have it mm-hmm. cause jitters and light bins and all sorts of other stuff. Is that what you're asking? Well, so I, I guess I have another piece of software that's like much more basic that I that I use to kind of help create some of the visual pieces for like content. Um, but it, it's like, it's quite limited. Uh, but if you screw around with it long enough, you can get good results. I know Resolume is a much more pro option, but what I'm pretty much looking to do is run like an edited GoPro video into it and then have the software like manipulate that video, like in real time. 
Um, is that oh, so, oh, oh, I see what you're saying. So yeah. have a have a GoPro that is feeding video real time, like you could have the audience or whatnot, and then you're manipulating it based on knob twists and whatever yeah. So else. I'm act- I'm actually I'm. I'm not even talking about live performance. That is a fucking amazing idea though. I hadn't even (laughs) thought of that, but I'm talking about like pre-recorded video stuff like I've taken and then I'm just sitting here in my computer trying to generate content for like, you know, song releases and stuff, trying to like come up with cool clips. And so I'm like running a GoPro video that I've shot into the program and then using its effects and, and stuff to like manipulate the video and the colors and, and like warp it and stuff. I have not tried it the way you're describing, like feeding sure. in a, I mean, you, you could certainly drag in a clip um, yeah. and then manipulate it and then save it back out. Um, there's a particular format, uh, DVX3 or something that a, that it likes because it's very low latency. So you, you frequently have to convert all your clips over to this particular format. Okay. But I don't, I don't see why you couldn't use it for um, creating cool effects on your clips. Yeah. I, I am actually set up. I've got a, a webcam and I'll stream in what the audience is doing and then I'll I'll bend it sort of on yeah. the screen and kind of project what's happening. So I, I have actually done that. That's sick. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so kind of we've we've discussed a little bit about uh, your your live setup. So what does your your like production setup look like nowadays? What are some of your your favorite tools? What have you been gravitating towards lately? Uh, so I am, I am almost all in the box. Uh, I have not gotten into the, any of the modular stuff, partly because I know it's an expensive, uh, hobby. And, uh, I, I, I like to be able to take my laptop with me anywhere. I've, I, um, I joke that my second studio is Starbucks because some years ago, pre pandemic, <laughs> I was, uh, yeah. sitting at Starbucks and, and working on it. And I wound up tweeting out a shot of it. And I was like, my second office, Starbucks actually replied to me and they were like, let the wubs roll or something. No way. Um, That's yeah, awesome. they, they did. It was exciting. But, um, so I like being in the box where I can work on music anywhere with just the laptop and the headphones. Um, uh, Ableton's Ableton's obviously the biggest one. The uh, the other one that I find myself using nonstop is the Loop Cloud plugin. Uh, I used to be with Splice, uh, where I got most of my samples, um, which I liked the amount of material that was on Splice. I liked the remix competitions that they did. Uh, the workflow though was horrible because the desktop app that they provided, I basically had to copy sounds one by one into my DAW or I'd have to browse to it in the Explorer, find the files, highlight them. It was it was just bad. And then I would, once I got them into Ableton, then I could see how they sound in the mix, you know, whether or not they actually meshed well, you know, it was just slow and cumbersome. Yeah. So um, Loop Cloud is awesome because there's a VST that goes into your uh, doll. You just create a new track, you drop a VST on there and it time syncs everything. So mm-hmm. it organizes all of the files on your hard drive. It tags them it, it gives them keys if they don't already have it. Um, and it also integrates with their store. And so it, it, it has just dramatically sped up my workflow where if I'm looking for just about any sound, I can find it with tags and searches and they've got an AI function in there. And then it's even got options for chopping up sounds based on hundreds of different presets. So, you know, I can take vocals and run them through like a hi-hat processing and, and then just ex- drag and drop into the DAW. So I, I love Loop Cloud's plugin. Um, 
That's that, one of the big ones. That sounds far superior to Splice. I mean, I, I, I love Splice for the fact that it has so many good sounds and you can just buy one at a time. I didn't even know what you were saying existed. But yeah, the, the biggest problem with Splice is that it's basically like, you know, once every three to six months, I have to go through and take all my Splice samples that I've downloaded into a certain folder and then like, like take hours to just drag them into the proper organization of, of my library. Um, but that sounds like way integrated. Do you ever, do you ever worry that going into the sample digging phase while you're still producing that, that kind of maybe, maybe detracts or is it so quick that it doesn't matter? It, it is so, so I, I very, I generally kind of try to be creative versus analytic and I kind of try to separate those two out. And when I'm creative, which is frequently in the mornings, I'm a morning person, which is a little ironic for a ninja, but um, <laughs> so uh, I, when, when I'm in that, I don't find that it breaks the flow because it really is fast. I've got the loop cloud browser up on one screen over here. And then I've got my doll on the main screen, which is kind of right here in front of me. And so it is super fast to find um, sounds and audition them right in the mix. Uh, it'll even pitch bend so I can tell it to lock a particular key, um, which sometimes comes up with some crazy, crazy sounding effects. Um, and I think the biggest thing is I, I spend zero time uh, organizing, um, organizing my sounds. Uh, I, I used to you know, I started building those 128 racks, you know, in Ableton where you've got 128 different sounds. And I had like 128 different kicks uh, in A minor. And, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm going to do this for multiple different sounds. But it was very time consuming. Mm -hmm. um, and I've just scrapped that entirely because Loop Cloud's search function is so good. And there's so many different ways that you can, you know, you can search by sample length, you can search by key, you can search by uh, genre, you can um, tell it to only search your files on your hard drive, or you can tell it to search their uh, their, their cloud holdings. Uh, the plugin, by the way, is free. So, you know, there's no problem trying it. Uh, you only have to pay if you want some of their advanced functions and you want access to their store. So, um, interesting. Yeah, um, I, I know I sound like I work for Loop Cloud. I don't. <laughs> I pretty when good I'm, sell here. No, I, when I'm passionate like, so about something that like that helps me, link, I will, I will frequently yeah, I sound like I work for them. Um, yeah. How much, if you don't mind me asking, how much is like the monthly subscription to their sample service? It, it's about the same as Splices. It's okay. like uh, eight to twelve dollars, just depending on the number of samples. And and I find myself the, that's the other thing. I find myself using my samples a whole lot more sparingly, because in Splice, what I would do, I would download a hundred different samples that I thought would sound good for my song, drag them into session view, and then experiment with them in the mix. And of course, that was time consuming, but. 95% of those samples never wound up in the song. Yeah. With Loop Cloud, I can audition all the samples before I even purchase them, and then I only purchase the ones that I want. So I, you know, even if you go with their lowest tier plan, I, I find that's more than enough for yeah. for what I'm doing. How's the how's the, like the curation of samples? Do they have you know lots of different good stuff? Does it does it stack up to Splice as as far as quality is concerned? I, I haven't noticed any difference. I mean, I see wow. a fair number of the same, um, like audio shops on there. Yeah. Um, 
And, and of course, all the samples that I bought from Splice years ago are, are also there and indexed in, and I can use those as well. So I, uh, I made oh, the about- I didn't even realize that. So it will index all of your samples and be yes. like kind of a finder for your entire library. Wow. Right. So I, I again, wow. download the plugin and try it out. It, it is the best way that I've found to organize your library quickly. And uh, then, you know, if you like that, then you can buy their subscription and actually then not only will you have access to the ones on your hard drive, but it'll show you, hey, these are in the cloud or these are on the drive. They've also got um, some other um, functions that I've played around with. They've got like a... <laughs> They've got a drum kit that's kind of cool that will randomize the samples so you can tell it, hey, here's the genre I want, and it'll pull samples that it thinks fit for hi-hat, snares, kick, and that mm. sort of thing to kind of help you come up and generate ideas quickly. Um, I haven't quite figured out the workflow for that yet because you can then export it as, hey, here's my entire drum session, and you can apply effects in Loop Cloud, but... I don't know. I prefer to do the processing in Ableton. So Amen. I'm can still playing ex- around with that. Can you export the drum tracks separately? Yes, absolutely. And you, okay. you or, yeah, but, but then, you know, you're exporting. All right, well now I'm taking my, my kick and my snare and my second kick. And um, mm. so that, that workflow for that, and that's kind of free with their subscription. Um, I'm still playing around with that, but there's, there's a lot of stuff. The one thing that I miss about Loop Cloud, I haven't seen many remix competitions, but there's so many other opportunities out there online for remixes. Yeah. I, I feel like I can just go somewhere else. Well, this is this is crazy. It sounds like such a far superior option. I can't believe I haven't heard of this before. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> like I'm, I'm just mind blown right now. It sounds like exactly what I've always wanted from Splice. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll send you a link to the podcast episode where I kind of compared the two. Yeah, um, please do. Please do. We'll include it in the show notes. And um, yeah, just, I mean, I like the samples on Splice and I love that it's, you know, cheap. I can just, you know, forget about it for a while, go download a bunch of shit when I feel like it. That's great. But like, high key, their search functionality sucks. Terrible. (laughs) Oh my God. God awful. You like type in like, whatever the name of the type of sample you're going for and like set the little functions and come up with a whole bunch of random shit that's not that. And like yeah. three kicks. And she's like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, thanks. <laughs> well, these yeah. other ones also have a K in the name. So we figured it might be <laughs> what you're looking for. One of the letters matched. <laughs> like, I or don't the know. pack name or one of the tags has a K in it. Yeah. yeah. Right. yeah. Absolutely horrible. Um, <laughs> but uh, you brought up uh, your podcast. And, and I want to ask you a little bit about the origins of the podcast and just put, you know, our, our audience on to what you're doing. And um, I'd love to hear just kind of what inspired you to to start your podcast and, and what your focus is with that. Yeah, um, it's been going on for two years now. And uh, you guys uh, started, I think, shortly after mine. But I think you're about to catch me because I, I just released episode 93. Um, uh, but I've gone yeah. to bi-weekly. I, I've nice. gone to bi-weekly. So this you guys are going to pass gonna me episode here. episode 97. Uh, but right. yeah, so it's, but you know, we're recording it a bit early. So yeah. yeah okay. We're still so doing we're, the weekly. Yeah. Good, good for you guys. I, um, I, I decided that once I moved back to Atlanta, things have just been too hectic. And I, one of my biggest challenges is prioritizing my time. And if something, I have to make time to make music. That is, that is yeah. my passion. And that is the, uh, thing that drives everything else that I do. So I cut back to every other week on the podcast but um, 
Yeah, it's been running for about two years. It started off in the pandemic. Um, I thought that it would be a good way for me to engage with other producers, as well as basically anybody sort of in that realm. Uh, I've had promoters, I've had um, people talking about sync licensing, I've had uh, vice presidents at distributors, you know, just kind of all over the place. But my goal is to bring something to producers and DJs each week, every other week that's uh, actionable and informative and help them to better make better music and, and get it heard is really it. And uh, it's, it was partly a way for me to stay engaged during the pandemic, but it's also a way for me to ask the questions that I yeah. wanted answers to um, yeah. and get in front of people that I'm, I'm interested in getting to know. So uh, for example, in Atlanta, I've, I've, I kind of ran on this string of three or four different producers recently here in Atlanta because those are people that I, I want to network with. Um, so it's, it's also served kind of a digital networking function for me. Hey Amen. I've got some uh, some of our recent guests, like three, our last three guests, in fact, are all friends of mine that uh, that have moved to Atlanta for production. So I should uh, link you up with those guys. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. For sure. Make a note. Yeah, that's what's up, though. Um, uh, I I personally really like your podcast, and uh, and so great job on that for sure. And I love you know how you decided you kind of looked at your time management and made a new agreement for yourself of your scheduling and your your frequency with that because you know I tell you know producers taking lessons with me often ask me about time management or, you know, whatever schedule they want to do for writing or preparation or releases. And they ask, what what should I do for this amount? And I was like, well, I can't tell you what you should do past. You should choose something that you believe you can stick to. And that will be a slight, a slight challenge to push you. But if you find that whatever frequency you chose is too much, make a new agreement where you agree with yourself to pull back a bit. And if you find that it's too little, make a new agreement where you push it up a bit and allow, you know, what's really happening in your life and the other things that are important to you to help you dictate that. Yeah. I like what you said. I, uh, it reminds me of a quote I heard about, uh, life begins at the edge of your comfort zone. Ooh. So. I love that. Yeah. I completely on. agree. Yeah. Like nobody, nobody grows inside the comfort zone. That's a good place to rest and recover, but it's not a good place to to grow. It's like, you know, think about going to the gym. If you only lift weights that are super easy to lift, you don't build the muscle. Yep. So uh, in your podcast, uh, I would love to hear what are some of your favorite episodes that that were the most impactful to you personally. Um, wow. I've had a lot of, uh, a lot of good ones. Um, what I mean, one of my one of my heroes um, that I, I I love his music, and it was a, a fascinating interview. And I was a lot of my a lot of my episodes and my guests come from me asking people, "Hey, who else do you know that I can talk to that would be a good guest for this podcast?" This guy was absolutely a cold call. I just DM'd him and I was like, "Hey, I like your music. I'd love to have you on the podcast." And he said, "Sure," even though he hadn't given an interview in like two years. So I I guess I just cut him and caught him at the right time. But it was. Uh, Andrew, who does Approaching Nirvana, um, his uh, his stage name, but he does these amazing cinematic, 
sounding progressive house stuff, but he also kind of started off doing, uh, he was one of the original guys that got in on the Minecraft music craze, creating stuff for uh, people to use copyright free on YouTube. That was kind of how he got started. Um, he also um, basically makes his living as a producer through his um, Bandcamp and his um, Patreon accounts. Uh, and, and he has released an insane number of tracks. I think he's had has 300 tracks in his catalog, and that was like a year and a half ago. Uh, so absolutely prolific, and, and that was a, a fascinating talk. Um, what, are, what are some of the takeaways from, from a talk like that with someone so prolific, if you, if you remember anything? Yeah, that was, uh, that was a while ago. Um, I'm trying to remember what he said that made him so fast in producing. Um, I think a lot of it had to do with just consistency and getting in the studio every day. Um, I mean, regardless, I one, we're all going to have to go listen to the podcast. Episode, I mean, yeah, yeah, but, right? yeah. yeah I, I'll send you a link. already. Super, super chill guy. Um, but, but he, and the other weird thing about it is, you know, a lot of times the bulk of a musician's money comes from touring. He, he practically does no touring whatsoever. Um, so it was, it was really interesting. I, I think that's one of the other, if I had to draw broad trends from the podcast, I would say, um, there's no, there's no one right way to do this music business. Um, you've got his example there versus, uh, my, first guest ever was uh, Lauren Hardy, uh, who was really just a DJ, but he loves bass music. And he created this amazing music scene in Orlando for Bass Night Orlando. And even when I was in Orlando a year and a half ago, he was drawing 300 people a night on a Monday night to a bottle club for his Bass Night events. Um so he just did a phenomenal job promoting and he's up there on the stage every time also kind of opening up for these big name acts. And uh, so, you know, different approach there. Uh, I had a guy um, who did corporate gigs, uh, Benji Harris, and he worked for a company called Song Division. And particularly during the pandemic, they would put together these sort of online engagement things for corporations that are looking to sort of keep their people involved. And they would uh, create songs on the fly using corporate logos. It was kind of musical improv, but it was fascinating. And uh, just another example of a different way to do this. So I think it really comes down to finding what you enjoy doing that relates to the music business, but there, there is no one right way to do it. Amen. Yeah. And, and I think also sort of, Related to that, there's no one right way to do production either. Um, you know, I, I've, I've been fascinated with the variety of different ways that people approach processing a kick. Um, you, you know, you've got these, I've had techno producers talk about having six different layers and EQing each different layer and making sure that everything is in phase and, and you know, just this meticulous process for creating that perfect kick. And then you have other producers that say, you know what, don't bother with that. Just find the right sound in the first place. If, if you're having to do that much processing, you don't have the right sample. You know, two different opinions. Both producers are producing amazing music. Um, so, yeah, and that's that's been kind of freeing that um, there, there isn't, there aren't many wrong answers in what we're doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. For Does sure. I love it that. sound good? <laughs> 
Yeah. Does it, does it like not clear the dance floor? To. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's kind of the only wrong answer is everybody left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I remember uh, an interview with Elon Bluestone where he was like, when I choose a kick, I find a kick that I don't have to EQ, that I don't have to do anything to at all. That's just the kick that I like because that's what I'm going to build the track around and that I don't have to switch it and I don't have to think about it and it's just what I use. And I always thought that was really fascinating because that was like at a point in my production stage where I was like, I if I'm good, I should be able to hammer anything into where it needs to be. And that's just not that's just not really how you're supposed to do it necessarily. You should be taking a holistic approach. But ultimately, I think the takeaway that I liked the most um, is, is kind of coming full circle to like from an intermediate standpoint where you're like so worried about doing it the right way and like getting to the pro level sound because all of the pros do it the right way. And, and the right way is there, there's no one way, right? It, you're kind of freed when you realize the creative choices that you take to get to a f- finish line that sounds good, like make your music stand out like make you different, make you original, like your, you should figure out your own right way, like learn, learn, like how to listen and try and get it to where you want. But ultimately, it's your own blueprint of of who you are and how you make the decisions that makes your music sound the way that it does. So like, that was like a super freeing uh, revelation, like, just like what you said, just said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I'm uh, curious to ask you about is um, the whole House Ninja brand and uh, the whole aesthetic that you got going on. We did an episode recently on branding and uh, mm. you're somebody I've always felt like, you know, in the last uh, like two-ish years, whatever that I've been seeing you around, you've always had your brand super down on point. You've always had a very like clear idea of kind of what you're trying to portray and, um, you know, I'm just curious, kind of like, what was the original intent behind the brand? And then is there anything you've learned on this like branding journey that you found, you know, <laughs> resonates more so than than other things you've tried, maybe just some successes and failures we could touch on? Sure. Um, that's a good question. Um, so the House Ninja brand came about for, for multiple reasons. Um, one, I've, I've always enjoyed dressing up, even since I was a kid. My uh, my mom tells me, and I, I don't exactly remember this, but uh, she tells me that when I was young, I used to always go to the doctor's office in costume. I always had to wear a costume. And so one day I went in without a costume and the doctor was like, what's wrong with him? Um, and so I guess I never quite grew out of that. You know, Part of the market that I'm going for are the gaming conventions and the, the Momo cons, the Dragon cons, the, the big sci-fi gaming conventions. Cause that's, that's kind of where I grew up. And I, I enjoy that. I play dungeons and dragons. I play video games. Um, those are, those are my people. Um, there was also a practical matter. Um, I knew that I wanted to find something that was SEO friendly, you know, search engine optimization friendly. I wanted a name that was easy to find in Google. Uh, so I created a spreadsheet and I was very methodical about here's hundreds of different names that I'm thinking about. And I would go through and, uh, you know, search and see whether or not I could get Twitter, Instagram, Facebook for that particular name. Uh, so house ninja music, it was available on just about everything. Uh, the only other house ninja that I found was, uh, a builder in Colorado, I think. 
uh, but that's you know totally different fields. Yeah. That was that was right. good. Different house. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the 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 other calculation there is because of my uh, particular affiliation with a former employer, I there was a great need for for sort of privacy. And so the costume DJ thing, you know, the, the marshmallow, the, uh, certainly the marshmallow, you know, mystery DJ producer worked well for my particular employment situation. Um, so that was another thing. And then of course I, I just, I went to Japan several years ago and fell in love with the culture and the people. And, uh, so I wanted to create sort of this heroically themed ninja, um, larger than life. It's kind of inspirational for me and aspirational. Uh, and I wanted something that would draw people's attention. So, um, Seth Godin, you know, famous marketer talked about the, uh, purple cow, uh, Mm -hmm. the idea that, you know, if you are driving down the road with your kids and you see a cow and you see a cow and you see another cow, there's nothing to talk about. But if you're driving down the road and all of a sudden you see a purple cow, everybody's going to be talking about that. So, I wanted to create something that people that would be visually memorable as well. Um, so that was, that was kind of the impetus for it. Uh, I didn't go with black because uh, it doesn't show up on stage. So that's, that's why I actually, originally I went with all white um, and nearly had a horrific failure uh, before my, my career ever really started. So that, that probably goes to your failure question. Um, there's a little city near us called Noonan, Georgia. And, uh, I don't know, five, six years ago, uh, there was a neo-Nazi group that was coming through the town, uh, and there was this big ride planned and, uh, the town had the most remarkable, wonderful reaction to this. They were basically going to shut the town down and they had all of the kids the night. So they, the ride was going to be on a Saturday. So the night before, they had a big party that was about love and inclusivity. The kids decorated the sidewalks. Um, All the shops were open. They they had this huge street party. And then the day that the ride was coming through, all the businesses agreed to shut the town down. So it was was awesome. And when I heard about that, I was like, oh, man, I want to be part of that party Friday night. So I I approached the guy that was putting it on. I was like, hey, do you need a DJ? I'm I'm happy to play upbeat, family-friendly stuff. He's like, yes, absolutely. So I run home, grab all my gear, come back there, and I start setting up. And uh, I have three police officers with machine guns approach me. It's at that point that I realized that at the time, my costume was all white with a mask. This is pre-pandemic. And, you know, this is, we've got neo-Nazis and KKK people coming the next day. And they were like, we think you should probably leave. And so I never played a song and I was gone before I even started. So since then, my costume has evolved. I am no longer in all white uh, for that specific reason, because I do not want to be associated with that at all. But that was, that was a terrifying early failure uh, and poor choice of costuming and venue. (laughs) That, that, oh my God, that's such an extreme example, but it is a great (laughs) example of like, when you're thinking up your personal brand, like what it means to you is, is all well and dandy, but you also have to really go macro and be like, what could this mean to different 
groups of people all over the world. Like you really have to take a, a, a holistic approach to like what visually does this represent, not just to you, but to others as well. And that's, I mean, that's, that's, it's a very uh, intense example, but dang. Yeah, it was, it was scary. And so that, that almost shut, uh, shut things down before I even got started. Um, I would say the other challenge with the whole mystery producer branding is it makes social media difficult um, because if I ever want to show pictures of myself, I have to dress up first. Um, you know, I, I do share pictures of, you know, places I've traveled and stuff like that, but it's harder for me to be spontaneous on social media. Um, and certainly the advice that I get from a lot of people on the podcast is, hey, you know, share a lot of your life, be be authentic and that sort of thing. And I want to be authentic, but I also kind of want to respect this brand that I'm trying to build. And so there's, there's always kind of this tension here with how much do I share and, and uh, without revealing too much, you know? Um, so that's, that's something that's, this has kind of been difficult with. I, I've had difficulty I see, with. I see though, like the pandemic could help you out just because, you know, I mean, like wearing a hoodie, that's an everyday occasion for most of us anyways. And then you got a face mask with you at all times. So you could just be like, all right, house ninja here at the Starbucks dressing like I dress. <laughs> it, it has. And, and, you know, it's, it's kind of been, it's kind of been, uh, Georgia still has so Georgia still has mask laws in in so that was part of what uh, these officers were concerned about at that that incident uh, was I was wearing a mask nobody else was um, and that's to address you know KKK and that sort of thing it is illegal to wear a mask in public places in Georgia except for like on private property and everything else and so from that perspective the pandemic has made it a lot easier because everybody says mask and. And it's also been nice because I've been able to authentically on brand advocate for people to wear masks. And that's something that I did yeah. on my live stream. I think I've still got a pop up on my website. I talk about on social media. It's, you know, it's a cause that I can really throw myself behind and, and you know, be authentic about that, that everybody should be wearing masks. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, if not for public health to look like a cool ninja. Absolutely. Everybody looks better with a mask. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't know. Speak for yourself, man. It's the money maker right here. You, know what I'm <laughs> you do have a very epic, epic beard. Yeah. Yeah. I got to try and show it off. You know, you wear the mask. It gets that weird line in the middle of the beard that like <laughs> the divot. It's like a moat. The underhang. It's like when you were like 10 and the you got underhang. the ski jump, the ski jump haircut. It's like the, the other side, like the ski jump <laughs> under the mask. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Why is that the middle school haircut? Just like no matter what era, just like we got to. Because everyone at Supercuts was trained to give anyone that looked like they go to middle school a ski jump haircut. Just do it. <laughs> Ask them if they want frosted tips to be like NSYNC. If they say no, give them the ski jump. <laughs> oh, man. Classic. Awesome. What a throwback. <laughs> Woo. Um, well, uh, I also want to ask you what, what, uh, what are you currently excited about? What's in store? Where are your current goals at? Uh, so my goals for this year kind of revolve around three P's it's, uh, production, obviously, um, podcasting and performing. So I really, I, I really want to get out more and perform more, particularly in the Atlanta area. Um, 
Production-wise, I'm trying to get something out every month, every six weeks. Uh, by the time this episode comes out, I, I uh, have a release coming out February 11th, uh, which I'm really excited about. Um, it's my first explicit release. Uh, it's called Fuck Susie. Um, and uh, it, it deals with, yeah, it, it deals with the Susie that we all hate. It's the uh, extended warranty lady. So, hi, this is Susie, and I'm calling about your car That's warranty. Funny, so. <laughs> um, yeah, they, they made the mistake of leaving that on my voicemail. And so I sampled it and <laughs> oh, turned it into perfect. this ragey, angry song that is uh, very not me, but I, I felt like needed to be written. Um, oh, we all have that, that yeah. rage at the robocall or whatever that, that we all know. That's a very relatable topic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when spam so risk pops up on your phone. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And I'm, so I'm excited about that. It, uh, I've got a social media campaign planned out for it cause it's kind of right at the Valentine's day. So, uh, I'm, I'm planning on going out there and talking about, uh, Hey Susie, stop calling me. No, really Susie, stop calling me and making it kind of tease it out over yeah. time. Like it's an ex-girlfriend or something. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how that goes. By the time this episode comes out, you know, you guys can go listen to it. Um, and I've got a new release coming out right about the time of this podcast. That's uh, much more chill and more my sound. It's a, um, it's called Arigato, which is Japanese for thanks. Thank, thank you. And, uh, it's kind of this neat East West blend. It's got a Koto is kind of a lead instrument. That's uh, the Ooh. traditional Japanese stringed instrument. And then it's sort of contrasted with some housey pianos. So it's sort of an East meets West mm. with sort of counterpoints and alternating. And anyway, it turned out really well. It's got an awesome bass line and very danceable. And so I'm excited about that and that'll be out soon. Um, and yeah, and then uh, going to keep releasing and keep producing and try to get, uh, get out on stage more often now that I'm settled back in Atlanta. Amen. Yeah, I yeah, love that. The three Ps, production, podcasting, and performing. Big That's fan of life. That. Yeah, <laughs> that was perfect. What more can you ask for? All right, yeah, man. How about you uh, let the humans know uh, how they can follow you and, and where to find you on the internets? Sure, absolutely. I am almost everywhere at House Ninja Music. That's one word. Uh, except for Spotify, my artist profile there is just House Ninja. Uh, and then my website is houseninjamusic.com, and you can find everything about me there as well as uh, the podcast. Wonderful. Wonderful. All, all right, humans. This is how we leave them. We give them a peace and a peace among worlds. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Oh, yes, my God. Uh, this Good. There you go. Good man. Go. We all need to get that shirt. I, I know, know, right? What? Why? What is it? You do not shop at Spencer Gifts. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna have to go make a stop today. Clearly, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Peace, humans. Woo. Peace. Thanks Woo. for having me, guys. Yeah. yeah thank you. you. Okay, humans, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. Go follow House Ninja at House Ninja Music. His website is houseninjamusic.com. His new tune is Arigato. 
You can stream that with the link right down there in the description. And you can get links to the episodes of Producer Life podcast that he mentioned. Highly recommend following that show. It's super dope. I bump it myself. Uh, while you're down there, make sure to go support our sponsors, Dojo TV. That's free. Producer live stream classes from the Dojo Senseis. Plus, every other week, we're on there live. You can be in the chat with us, making jokes, asking questions, getting a shout out on the air. And then uh, our guy Tesco, yeah, he launched a Patreon. That's right. I actually took a lesson with him the other week, and it was amazing. He taught me a bunch about how to polish my mix by what he was hearing, and he had such great ways of describing it. Go get a private lesson, get some track feedback. You know, there's multiple tiers, something for everybody. Next up, the weekly download. That is Ill Gates' private weekly group lessons. And not only for just the low, low price of 20 bucks a month, you get a new episode every week, but you also get access to the entire archive, which is like well over 250 episodes by now. So make sure you go support the boy Ill Gates because, yeah, it's an amazing resource. I learned so much from that and continue to every week. And guest practices where you can learn from Seth Drake at the Approach Institute. He's the best engineer we know, and your first class is free. Follow us online at the Human Music Podcast or at Human Music Pod on Twitter and go to thehumanmusicpodcast.com to find those socials, free sound packs, and even more. Till next week when we're back at you with Unk, I'm going to tell you peace and peace among worlds. I like it. <laughs>